Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. And today I'm in conversation with someone who describes herself as a very ordinary housewife. But actually, I see something quite extraordinary about her. And I hope that once you've heard her story, you'll agree with me and feel the same. So as always, grab a cuppa, sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Today I'm in conversation with the beautiful Melissa Golding. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Welcome to the show. So Melissa and I met when we were introduced by a mutual friend, Julia, who reached out to me on Instagram and said that she had a very dear friend of hers who she thought would be a great fit for my inspirational women's series on my podcast. So thanks to Julia for the introduction. We chatted, I think, the next day and hit it off and we're like, yeah, absolutely got to have you on the show. So I'm so pleased you're here. Thanks for coming. And you actually hadn't listened to a podcast before we spoke, had you? No, never. <laughs> Pop in your podcast, Cherry, not just listening to it, but being on one as well. So <laughs> why don't you um, tell the listeners who you are, where you're from, what you're all about, and we'll go from there. Um, yeah, so my name is Melissa Golding and I live in uh, Croydon, centre of the universe. Um, I am married, I've been married for 23 years and I have two boys, one's 20 and 15. So I am pretty much an average housewife, to be honest. I work part time for um, financial advisors and I also work one day a week for a charity in the city called Suited and Booted. Mm-hmm. But um, last March, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, I suppose as terrible as it was in the middle of a pandemic, I've just tried to see the positives, if that's possible, um, and kind of flip it a little bit. Um, I took to Instagram with my story, which was, you know, I don't even do Facebook properly. So that was a really different thing for me to do. I haven't kind of looked back in terms of the support that I've been offered, the support that I can now give. Um, and just new doors opening, new opportunities. And luckily for me, I caught my cancer really early and I was still able to get all my treatment despite the pandemic. So I'm kind of what you might say, or some people might say, I'm out the other side, or quite often people will ask you, are you cancer free? And to all intents and purposes, I am cancer free because I had my cancer cut out and I've had chemo and I've had radio. Recently, I've had a little bit of a wobble, but that's because I'm human uh, and I'm not a superwoman as much as I'd like to think I am. But that's just, you know, anxiety at the thought of recurrence, which I I know now is a very natural way to be feeling at this stage. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, I mean, I love it. So when I first heard your story, when you first told me, um, actually, I think I checked out your Instagram first and I was like, Okay, so here is someone that didn't have an Instagram account before she found out that she potentially had cancer. And here she is sharing her journey, which always strikes me as a very brave and bold move to share that on the social media. And I was like, whenever I see that, I know there's like more to come from you because you don't just share that journey. You're not sharing it through wanting sympathy and support. You're sharing it because you're saying here is a way that I can approach this challenge, this life challenge and struggle and actually show the positives 
of it because it strikes me you're a very positive person so why don't you take us back to that moment because when you told me about how you found a lump um I think it was quite almost fortunate that you remembered something that someone once told you right about what to look out for when you're checking your breast so um I I found this lump by chance so I never ever checked my breasts and so I am a massive advocate of that and reminding women to check on the first but um I would I'd come home and I just felt uncomfortable and I'd found this lump and it was absolutely tiny like literally felt like a little lemon pip there was nothing there and it was just literally where the underwire bit goes on your bra sort of under my boob but I was rubbing there and thought yeah that definitely feels a bit odd Um, And I suppose I'd left it a few days, but kept in the end, literally every opportunity I got. So anytime I went to the loo at work, anything, I'd be then feeling, thinking, no, it's still there, it's still there. Um, And decided to talk to my husband about it. And he agreed that it was, you know, ridiculously small. um, And like, really, do you think you should go to the doctors? Yeah, maybe you should. Um, And I also told two friends. And I think you know, telling your, your partner is one thing, but when you tell two friends, um, especially like I, my friends are like my sisters, to be perfectly honest. And so they, it's like you're making it a reality and they urged me to go to the GP. But one other thing that came to my mind and I literally, I woke up like a couple of days later in the middle of the night and it had literally come to my mind. And it was when I was much, much younger when, you know, perhaps GPs had a bit more time. I remember going in and seeing like the district nurse and I think it was to get my contraceptive pill. And she had talked to me about checking your boobs and she had like a prosthetic boob and she had told me to feel for a lump. And one of the things she said to me was, it will feel like a lemon pip. Now I know for lots of different women, it might not feel like a lemon pip. I get that. Breast cancer comes in many different guises, but for me, I just suddenly thought, oh my God, it feels like a lemon pip. So I think it was a, a moment of clarity where I realized I absolutely had to go to my GP. And like, like I never go to the GP. I'm never unwell. I never have a cold even. So she saw me, took it seriously. And that was on the 12th of February. And um, I think two weeks later, I was in with the consultant. So, you know, he initially said to me, just a bit lumpy, send you for a mammogram just to be on the safe side. Um, and even all of that, you know, like I've said, I've been married for 23 years. I'm, I'm not used to having my top off in front of another man, as ridiculous as it sounds, because you're like, this is medical. But there's still this feeling like a bit like when you go for a smear test where you just think, oh, I don't want to do it. I just want the ground to eat me up. Um, and I found it all really uncomfortable. I hated the mammogram, you know, and I'd never had one before. So everything everyone says to you about, oh, it's really uncomfortable and painful. Yes, it is. But, you know, you, you just have to do these things sometimes. So I did it. And I actually skipped out of that hospital thinking everything was fine. And it was only the next day on my way home from work. Um, I took a phone call in the car. It came up, no caller ID. And I don't even think I was properly listening because it was Shrove Tuesday. And all I was thinking about was what I needed to get for the pancakes. I was stopping at Sainsbury's. I was like, what do I need to get for these pancakes? And, um, and they just said, the doctors looked at the mammogram. He'd like you to come back for another mammogram and um, for a biopsy. And I suppose then it kind of hit home a little bit more and I pulled into the car park and I burst into tears, but you get on with it. (laughs) So uh, I went back on the Thursday, I had the biopsy. And then as I was leaving, uh, when she did the biopsy, she did it of 
the lump in the breast, which I knew there was a lump because they do an ultrasound. While she was doing the ultrasound, she was clicking. So a bit like if you were having a baby, they click to measure on an ultrasound. So I knew she was measuring and I actually did say, how big is it? And she said, mm, 12 millimeters. So that's how tiny it was. Um, and then, but she also went up under my arm. We just feel that that's not quite right. And I suppose when I left, she did say to me, we'll have the results in a week and we'll be able to make a plan. And there was this massive part of me that wanted to say, but what do you mean? Do you think it's cancer? Is it cancer? But then I didn't. And I probably didn't because I didn't want to hear the answer right there and then, actually, because I'm quite a forthright person. Ordinarily, I would have asked something like that. But I was obviously too scared to do it at that point. Um, so instead, I came home and spent the whole week with Dr. Google worrying myself to death. So there we go. Like we do. <laughs> but, yeah, like we do. But to be honest, when I went back after a week and he told me, it was almost a relief because I had worried myself to such a degree. But to have somebody say, look, yeah, it is a grade three tumour, but it's very treatable, it's very curable. And this is the plan. This is the plan of action for me to take out some emotion out of it and focus on the medical side means I can cope with a little bit better with it. Obviously mixed into that, the fact that we were just about to go into lockdown and am I actually going to get my treatment? And do I know anyone else that's had breast cancer? Actually, no, I didn't at that point. I mean, luckily, not luckily, because it's an awful disease, but Somebody always has a friend of a friend who's had breast cancer. And I think there's like a little club. Uh, if you're in it, you kind of will always reach out to other people. Um, so I had um, two people reach out to me that had previously had it, then found another friend along the way. Um, so we, you know, have a little WhatsApp group and um, it, it just makes life a lot easier actually knowing that other people are, are going through the same as you. Yeah, absolutely. And at what point did you tell your boys? I told them that night, actually, the day that I came home. Um, so it's the 5th of March when I found out officially. The thing is, like, the, the consultant had said to me, we're going to do some staging scans. So you go for a CT scan and a bone scan just to make sure it's not anywhere else. And because I didn't feel any different, I looked at the picture of health, etc. I just assumed that there'd be absolutely no way it could be anywhere else in my body. And... I, I'm a really honest person and I, and I, and also I'm very emotional person. So I would have found it very difficult to come back into my house and pretend like everything was normal when clearly it wasn't normal. Also, I'd failed to tell you that when I'd gone back for the biopsy, I'd actually asked my older son to drop me there. My son had just, my husband had just started a new job and my son can drive. So the parking at the hospital is horrific and it was a 9.30 appointment. I just thought I can't cope with the additional stress of looking for a car parking space. So I'd asked him to take me. And even though I kind of been honest, I wasn't 100% honest. So I kind of just said, oh, I'm going for a checkup. And I actually asked him on that day when it was Shrove Tuesday and I was like, put my head in a cupboard to look for something and then said, could you drop me to the hospital? And I was all a bit muffled. And you know, like boys never ask anything anyway. So he was just like, yeah, 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 all right. But the problem was that he, there wasn't anywhere to park and he had to drive around and I just said, meet me in this unit. So when he actually came to the unit, this unit that had been completely empty on the Monday when I'd gone there was now packed with middle-aged women. And I just suddenly realised what a silly, stupid thing I had done and why would anyone ask their son to bring them to this? Um, and even though he's six foot two, he literally stood in front of me because there was nowhere to sit and he looked like a little boy all over again. And I realised it was very silly of me. And so 
when I'd gone in and come out and he was ready to jump up and go, um, I had to make my appointment for the following week and I was just standing in the queue and he was like ready to walk out the door and I said, no, 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 I've got to make this appointment. And he just said, why? And I literally felt that every woman in that room was now looking at me as if say, uh, yeah, why? Why would you bring your son with you? That's so stupid. And I, I, I realised, you know, I don't often feel a failure as a mum, but I absolutely felt like a failure that day. And to make matters worse, uh, when I was in the car with him on the way back, in fact, we were going to Costco because obviously I try and take everything off in one day. Um, we were on our way to Costco and he just said, um, what was that all about? And I said, look, I've found this lump and they've done a biopsy and they've also done a biopsy of my lymph node because they just didn't think it looked quite right. And a few minutes went by and then he just said, but what does that mean? And I just said, they're checking for cancer. Joe, they're checking for cancer. And I said it very matter-of-factly, probably with not a lot of emotion, but... I was feeling very sore and it just came out that way. And um, I realized then that the tears were streaming down his face. And so not I've been so honest with him at that point, like going back a week later, I couldn't not tell him at this point. And I'd also asked him not to say anything to my younger son because I didn't want to upset him. But, you know, I just kind of, we sat, you know, me and my husband sat on the drive when we came back, digested it all and decided I've got to come in and be honest. And, you know, even though when I told them I was crying, um, I just said to them, look, you know, it's really treatable. It's just that at this moment, um, I look really well. And probably what's going to happen is I will lose all my hair and I won't be very well for a while, but we'll get through it. You know, we'll just, we'll come together and we'll get through it. And I was just, that was it. I was just honest. And I've always been honest all the way through. Oh, I actually got really emotional when you were talking about that because I can imagine I can only imagine what that was like for you but I can also imagine what it's like for him because I've also been the, the child if you like that's had the news from my pet my mum that she had yeah. breast cancer and you know I know you said you you were standing there in that room and we're assuming everyone was thinking that you're a bad mother but they probably weren't at all their heart was probably going out for you at that moment knowing that you had to probably break something to him right and I know I was I was skiing in France and there was a big crowd of us and it was on the way back we were just coming up to the ferry terminal in Calais and luckily I live in Dover so I'm literally ferry crossing away and I picked up an email from my dad that said your mum's been in for surgery, she's had a lump removed, it's cancer. We don't want you to be angry with her or us for this decision, for keeping it from you, but we wanted to make sure we knew what it was before. And my heart in that moment obviously broke and I knew I couldn't yeah. be angry and I would never have been angry, but I just felt so guilty that I hadn't been there for her. So I don't think there's a, a right way of breaking that sort of news. I don't know... There isn't, there isn't a right way of breaking the news. I mean, I suppose for me, I just thought I, I could have been a bit more tactful, you know, with the whole dropping me to the, the hospital, etc. But, you know, like even just telling friends and family, there is no right way to tell anybody because what, I mean, perhaps the ones that you originally confided in, it's easier because they, they already know part of that journey. The ones that you 
you've never told anything about it's very difficult to say oh like are you in the middle of dinner or do you think I could just talk to you and I've got something quite important to tell you and I I had friends that were like you know they were shaken on the phone I could hear them crying on the phone and then it was up to me to be the strong one and do all of that no 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 it's all going to be okay and you know, it's really treatable and I just thought I'd let you know because obviously things are going to be a bit different for me in the next six months um so, you know, it, there is no right or wrong way. Um, and I have tried every way. You know, I told some people by text, which sounds really, doesn't sound right, but you can kind of build a bit more of a story with a text, perhaps. Um, and then I've texted and followed up the phone call and I've just done a phone call. So, it, you know, it doesn't really matter which way you do it. It's bad news and bad news is bad news. Right? So, yeah. You also had this, like, you know, it, 12 months ago, we had no idea what we were just entering into with this whole COVID thing. And obviously, it wasn't long after the, you got the news, the confirmation that we went into a national lockdown. And, you know, all of a sudden, we're having to wear face masks. And there's this high risk category of potentially catching it. And there's wards that have COVID patients that are potentially critical. And like, what was going through your mind? at that time with everything that was going on? So it was weird because the first time I'd been to the hospital, just before I went in, I was listening to the news and it was all about Italy and the rising death toll in Italy. So all the time I suppose it was in China, (laughs) you kind of feel that that's a little bit further away and it's not going to come here, but then now suddenly it's in Italy and it became a lot more real. But even at that point, no one had masks on in the hospital. None of that was going on. By the time I'd gone through to, I think it was the uh, 2nd of April, the results of my CT and bone scan. And at that point, I was told, right, we've got pre-med waiting for you. We're going to do surgery next week. And everyone had a mask on. The hospital was empty. It was like a, like a zombie film almost because it was completely empty, just corridors of nothing. And um, when I went out for my pre-med, everyone was all in PPE, like the proper white whole outfit PPE thing. And that was really scary um, because like literally, I didn't even want to get like, you had to do a wee somewhere. I didn't even want to go to the toilet because I didn't want to touch anything. Like, you know, you're literally just standing there, sitting there like that. And it was very scary. I think because of obviously everyone's reacting the same way. So you can't get your shopping. I remember sitting in an Ocado queue and I was number 22,000 in the queue. And I was like, am I ever going to get anything? Am I ever get? Um, so it was just, yeah, very scary. Um, and I, I, you know, I think everyone was feeling the same. And for me, to be honest, almost, it almost took my mind a little bit off the cancer because mm. you're so worried about this whole pandemic and like everyone's homeschooling and what's going to happen here and you're hearing these different stories and don't touch the post for two days and wait make sure you wipe everything down with Milton when you get anything through the door and there were so many other things to worry about um it kind of took my mind off the cancer really but yeah. in other ways I was very worried that I wouldn't get my treatment so I was very grateful that my consultant still went ahead with surgery and even surgery was a day case. I was in at 7.30 in the morning and I was home by quarter to two. Wow. So, you know, lumpectomy, 19, 19 lymph nodes out and a lumpectomy and yeah, it was, I was home. <laughs> so, but then I was safe, you know. 
you know, you hear so many stories of people picking it up in, you know, they've gone in for one thing in hospital and then they've picked up COVID. So in a way I was like, well, I'm happy to be home because I know I'm safe here. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you shared your journey on social media on Instagram in particular. What was the thought process behind doing that? Uh, to be honest, I think it was, it was Mother's Day last year and I, I just must have felt a little bit desperate. Um, like I said, I don't, don't even really do Facebook that well, to be honest. Um, but I, re- I recorded a video. I just went off on my own. I didn't tell any of my family and I recorded this video and then came out and spoke to my sons and said, what do you think about this? Because I want to put it on Instagram, but I don't know how to do it. Uh, and then we had this big thing where we talked about, oh, but like, do you think I need a catchy name? And what should I be called? And, you know, I don't know, like, you know, cancer girl or, you know, babe or boob babe or whatever. And it all just sounded really naff. Everything I was coming up with, I was like, oh no, no, someone's already called that. No, no, I can't have that. And, and I almost didn't do anything because getting hung up on a name. And then I just, my son said to me, well, can you just not have your own name? Like, what's the difference? Just have your own name. And I was like, oh yeah, all right, then let's just do that. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I think probably my, my, my kids helped me because they shared my story quite a lot and still do. Um, but just, I had, so much support and obviously that Mother's Day I, I, we were all proper in lockdown then and um, there was like it was just bizarre we my husband took me for a drive and we went for this country walk and uh, even if you pass someone in a field everyone had masks on so it was just really strange and I just thought I needed to reach out to other people because I was so worried about my diagnosis at that point, I was worried about if I was going to get my treatment. And then I just thought there must be other women that have just had this news. They've just had this news. So let's kind of, you know, get together and, and create some sort of support network. And it's really worked. Um, you know, at the, at the start, I felt like a lot of people were supporting me and holding me up and, you know, just checking that I was doing okay. But now I'm doing the same for other people. And, and honestly, I regularly speak probably every day to somebody that direct messages me who might want to talk to me about where did you get your pink wig from to you know oh gosh like I I can't show my boyfriend my bald head because I just don't feel I've got that confidence um and just kind of talking them through that um and it's you know all those things all those things that we experience like losing your hair I'm gonna get emotional now but like losing your hair and um just looking really unwell and feeling unwell and feeling weak and thinking god as a mum I need to be doing more you know so many emotions but you are so much more than your hair and your eyelashes you know you're so much more than your weight or any of those things just you know it's your soul and spirit that's most important so that's my big message to get out to people look I love a glossy photo believe me I'm always getting glossy photos on my Instagram, but I'm hoping that I also can show my vulnerability. I've done, I did just on my last chemo, I did a post where I had no makeup on and no hair apart from this dodgy baby bird thing that I had going on. Um, just to show people, that's what I look like all the time. And if I, if I put on a lovely photo of me in a pink wig with false eyelashes, that's taken actually quite a long time to get done. And also, my phone is really good. The camera on it's brilliant. And I have, you know, good lighting. So, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. It doesn't all just happen. 
And I think it's really important for people to know that and understand that. Yeah, well, that totally resonates with my message as well, because I know when we first spoke, you said to me, you know, I used to be pretty hung up on that kind of the the superficial side of things, the looks and my hair was very important to me. So to approach it so realistically and pragmatically and openly and like honestly, I think is just like, I just want to applaud you for that because a lot of people especially if you know their looks is their kind of identity yeah that is being changed dramatically then there's a big chance that they'll withdraw and retract from well the world as they knew it yeah so um for me like I I've I've had long hair for probably too long, probably. I had long hair for a good 15 years. So, you know, when I was younger, I used to have short hair like this and then it went to a bob and then I grew it long. And then, you know, everyone would say, oh, your hair's so beautiful. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I love my hair. And I really just thought, what would I do without my hair? It was like, that was what made me different to everybody else. That was my identity, Um, which sounds ridiculous to say now. But I honestly, I did think, I remember... Just before my final diagnosis, I'd gone out with a group of girls. We'd done a bottomless brunch. You know how much us girls have a bottomless brunch. Um, and I'd, I'd confided in those women there because they were my, my close besties. And I thought, how could I come out with you on the Saturday, get diagnosed on the Thursday and not have mentioned it? It would sound very odd. So I had to say to them, look, I need you to know this. You know, I've, I've had this biopsy and I really do think it might be cancer. But um, one of them actually said to me, oh, gosh, what, what do you think what would be the worst thing? And like, obviously the worst thing would be to die. But did I say that? I said, oh, no, oh, it'd be awful if I have to lose my hair, won't it? And we had this conversation about that. And now I think, how ridiculous, how superficial, what the hell was wrong with you? But, you know, at that time, that's the only thing that I could think about because you can't think until you've actually had it confirmed, you can't think any further ahead than just kind of snippets of what you think treatment's going to be. Until you've experienced it, I don't think you really know it. But now that I know that I'm way more than my hair. So, yeah, (laughs) you know, I I suppose for me, it's been a bit of an enlightening journey. It's not a journey I would choose to do, obviously. Um, But, you know, like I've said, I've just tried to look at the positives along the way, you know. I always wanted to know what it would be like to have bleached hair, but I was too nervous. You know, I thought, why not? Why not have a bleached crop hairstyle? And why not get a pink wig? Because people know it's not your real hair anyway, so you can be any colour you want to be. So, yeah, all of those sorts of things. I've tried to just have a bit of fun with it. Um, But I've also tried to just rock my bald head as well. I think you really think that it... I mean, it did affect me initially, obviously, and you feel very conscious and you feel like everyone, I mean, luckily we were in lockdown, so it's not like I could go around many places. I think I went to Dunelm once to do a click and collect (laughs) and I was outside and I thought, oh my God, everyone is looking at me and my bald head. And in the end, I thought, you know what, girl, just rock it, rock your bald head. Because I think a lot of the time people might wear a wig or wear a scarf or a hat because it makes other people feel more comfortable. I think it's other people sometimes you're just trying to soothe everything over for them and you don't need to do that just be who you want to be absolutely oh I love that and so treatment then how was it for you 
Um, so treatment started three days after my son's birthday in May. I was going on my own. So normally when you have chemo, you're allowed to have someone with you. Obviously in a pandemic, you're not. So I was obviously very scared. And I had had, you know, the, the few friends that I knew that had had, or friends and friends that had, had breast cancer had given me various views. Now, everyone responds differently to chemo. And that's one thing that I've learned. So I had heard, you know, you're not going to get, be able to get out of bed. You're going to feel absolutely awful. Oh, I had a terrible headache. The room was spinning. All these different things. So I was really so worried about it all. But I felt like I was as prepared as I could be. So bless my son, my oldest son. I think it was his way of showing he cared. He dropped me off and then made a TikTok about it. But anyway, um, so he dropped me off at the hospital and I went in and they were amazing. So a um, big shout out to Will Marston in Sutton. So they were fabulous. I had just the most loveliest nurse who had such a beautiful name. Uh, am I allowed to say her name? It was yeah, Hannah Valentine. <laughs> Hannah Valentine. She was just the best nurse ever. Um, and it's all very new. It's all a new thing. So, you know, big cannula in your hands and this big red injection they come and show you when they're about to inject you and funny feelings that you can feel in your body. But I came home. I mean, it took maybe three and a half hours. Um, one thing I would like to say is actually I never did the cold cap. So you, the cold cap is something you can put on and it, for some people it will protect their hair. Others, it might still, your hair might still thin out. But the way that it works is by really numbing the top of your head, uh, it's freezing, but you have to put it on, I think maybe an hour before and just keep it on half an hour afterwards or the other way around. And I just heard lots of nightmare stories about it. So I didn't do it. And it's a massive regret of mine. So I would say to anybody out there, just give it a go. Well, you've got nothing to lose. Give it a go and see if it works or not. Because I didn't and I regret that I didn't. I shouldn't have listened to everybody else, but... Coming back from chemo, you know, that, that evening, I thought oh, I'm going to feel sick and not want to eat anything uh, reversed. I think it's all the steroids you're pumped with. I was like, oh, is there anything beige that I can eat? I just want, I had like an addiction to sausage rolls, quiches, like anything that was beige and bad for you, I was all over it. Um, and then the next morning, like you, you are given so many anti-sickness meds that you are constantly thinking one's half an hour before food, one's with food, one's an hour after food, that you're trying to figure out when to take it. So I did all of that and I think it got to about 5 p.m. It was a Saturday and I spent all day in my pajamas, just sort of slow motion, walking around the house. And when it got to 5 p.m., I actually thought, I actually don't feel that bad, you know. And I was so angry with myself because I felt like I'd wasted the day. And I just decided that I was going to do things my way. And I did think, OK, I'm sorry that you girls felt the way that you felt with your chemo. But actually, I've had worse hangovers, so I'm just going to be rocking it. I'm rocking it from and that's the way I mean, you know, not every chemo, as it went on, it did get worse. It got progressively worse. I kept thinking I was going to be like this medical miracle because I've coped with it so well and that my hair wouldn't fall out. But of course it did. Um, and, you know, there's, there's different elements as as you go on through your chemo, you get these injections, which you're, you have to self-administer a week afterwards, which will boost your white blood count. Because that's one of the things it does as well. Obviously, it's killing the cancer, but it's killing lots of things in your body. So um, your white blood count is always very low. So um, unfortunately, the side effect of those injections are you feel sick and it gives you terrible bone pain because um, that's why, where your white blood cells are made in your bones. So um, I, I did suffer quite a bit towards the end, but with different things, you know, and that's what I said, everyone is different. Some people might say they felt worse just with the chemo because it's poisoning your body, but the injections made no difference. So 
you know, just depends who you are. Mm, and it really, like, where do you think your positive kind of outlook on this and approach to it comes from? Had you recognised it before in yourself? Um, had I recognised it before myself? To be honest, I'm not quite sure. Like, my mum died coming up for three years ago. And I'm an only child. So it was always just me and my mum. I'm a single parent. It was always just me and my mum. And I honestly thought that my world would collapse when she died. I'm going to get emotional. But um, I think you just find an inner strength. And I was able to do that. And I realised that I'm perhaps much stronger than I ever gave myself credit for. So being able to get through that, I knew then nothing could ever hurt me as much as that's hurt me. Unless something was to happen to my kids, nothing else could hurt me like that. And I don't know, like probably if they were unwell, I'd be felt I could take some sort of control. Um, And although I can't control what's happening in my body, I can control how I respond to that. Um, And so for me, it was just to try and always be as positive as I could be. And I'm not saying I didn't have down days. I'm not saying I didn't have days where I cried, I felt sick or was frustrated or upset because I couldn't get my mascara on because I had no eyelashes. You know, there was lots of things all along the way. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm still here. Uh, and I'm and I'm found like a bit of a new lease of life, I suppose, because I'm, I love the fact that I can reach out to other people um, I mean, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with this yet because as much as I love just talking to people on Instagram, there's part of me that thinks, should I be setting up a charity? Should I be writing a book? What more can I be doing? Because I feel like I have an awful lot more to give. Um, so uh, I'm gone, I've gone off my trail of thought now, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Like I've just, I've just tried to embrace it as best I can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it shows, right, that the most challenging parts to our life can be character building in a positive way. Yeah. I think that's yeah. what you've just described, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I think there are so many things that we go through in our lives that we just take it on the chin. We take it all on board. Um, and it's only kind of, you think it's going to kill you, but it makes you stronger. But sometimes you don't always recognise that. Like I didn't always recognise those parts, you know. Um, but here we are. Try, I'm trying. <laughs> so when did you get the kind of all clear for now, if you like? Because I think that's how it's kind of phrased, isn't it, in, in terms of this early days? And, you know what? I, I've never really had the all clear. So, I mean, I was told once I had my surgery and I went back, they take um, a, like a, a percentage of tissue surrounding your tumour. And I was told my margins were clear. So that's a good sign. No more further surgery. They took all my lymph nodes out. Um, so as far as they're concerned, you know, the chemo and the radio should be sealing the deal, basically. And there should be no more cancer. So as far as I'm concerned, I am cancer free. Um, like I said to you, I've, I've I've been having a few wobbles recently just at the thought of recurrence, but apparently this is all very natural. It's part of the healing process. So I'm taking this all on board. Um, So, I mean, I finished active treatment in September, mid-September I finished. Um, I'm currently actually going for acupuncture, which is uh, something that I didn't think I'd really get involved with, but actually I'm enjoying it. 
Um, I think it actually might be working because I used to get a lot of bone pain in my right leg in particular, and that seems to have really subsided. That's probably um, a side effect of the tamoxifen drug, which um, probably your listeners would have heard of before. So it's something that I've been told that I'll be taking for the next five to 10 years because my cancer was um, hormone driven. So this is just keeping everything at bay. Mm. Yeah, and I, I know you was before we started recording, you sort of said about your wobble last week or so. And it's almost like it, it doesn't end. It's just like the journey's beginning almost. And I certainly remember when my mum got to five years post-treatment and she was kind of discharged. I think even at that point, it was another, oh, shit, because now yeah. I'm no longer going to get that annual checkup. So I don't ever know that it leaves you. Um, but I guess you just learn to cope with that. Yeah. And that's where I'm at at the moment. It's trying to find a coping mechanism that your headache isn't a brain tumour and, you know, your back pain isn't because, you know, you've got bone mets. It's just because you've got back pain because you sat on the sofa incorrectly. Um, so, I mean, I think um, it literally it was because I'd gone for acupuncture and the doctor was ever so kind and actually took a very lot of interest in me uh, and wanted me to tell him every ache and pain that I had. So after about half an hour, I think he then said, should we just send you to an MRI? Um, and I was like, oh, OK, so I had this MRI on my back knowing that it was just probably the way I sit on the sofa, etc. But there was this other side of me, like a completely irrational thought process that started to take over where I was thinking, but what, but what if it's something more serious? Because I've had cancer and I didn't know I had cancer. I felt fine. What if it's something else? And I became so obsessed with it. So for the, for the two weeks prior to the MRI, I was Googling everything, had the MRI last Wednesday and saw the doctor on the Thursday morning. And luckily they already had the results and he was able to say, look, it's not the official results, but I've had a look through it. Everything looks fine. And that was it. I just burst into tears and I couldn't seem to stop. I couldn't bring myself together because um, this anxiety that had been building and building and then the guilt that I feel for feeling that way and it's you know you're kind of being pulled in lots of different directions because you're like I should be feeling really happy I've got through it all I'm a survivor but then there's this other side of you the darker side that you you think your brain keeps going to these places that you're angry with yourself for thinking about but I can't seem to help it. So um, it is something I'm working on at the moment. I'm, I'm going to, um, there's a place called Maggie's. It's called Maggie Centre. And there's sort of like a cancer centre within the hospital. So when I go back for acupuncture this week, I'm going to go there first. I'm going to talk to somebody because it's hard for me to admit these feelings. It's hard for me to say that I need some help, but I think I probably do need some help. So I'm taking my first step. Yeah. Good for you. And you mentioned a book that you just picked up and started reading with a great analogy in it. Do you want to share that? I actually just picked this up. It's called The Cancer Survivor's Companion. And it's by Dr. Francis Goodhart and Lucy Atkins. So look, shout out to them. Um, so at the beginning, there's, um, in fact, would you like me to read it to you or shall I just I'll paraphrase? Paraphrase. So it's called, uh, it's called The Cancer Storm. 
and what it is it's saying that you're you're a boat okay and you're in the ocean and everything's going really well and you've got everything you need you've got your map and your navigation you know what direction you're going in and you might have a flotilla of other boats with you and everything's fine and dandy and then suddenly this huge storm hits and you are completely rocked and everyone else goes out of the way you don't know where anyone is and you're petrified that you're going to sink but suddenly you have all these lifeboats that come alongside you and that start guiding you and trying to patch you up and you might have lost an oar or a sail but they're patching you all up and they're doing the best you can, they can for you and they're giving you a clear course and a clear direction and the waters seem to calm down a little bit and in between you know there might be some rocky patches again but more or less it's all calming down and then you get through and you're actually getting really near to the harbour and you can see all your friends and family at the harbour and they're all excited to see you and they're waving and everyone wants to have a party and you're like yeah yeah I'm nearly there and literally as you get to the harbour these lifeboats just disappear and you're suddenly on your own and you're like but I'm on my own and I feel like I can get there but I'm not sure if I can 100% get there and you're just, all the time that's going on, you're thinking, but what if the storm comes back and I don't quite make it there? And so you come obsessed, that's what it said in the book, become obsessed with the weather reports and the storm reports because you want to know, is the hurricane coming? Because I've heard there's a hurricane somewhere else mm-hmm. and it's affected another boat. So maybe this hurricane's coming for me as well. And I read that last night and I thought, gosh, why didn't I think of that? How amazing, that's exactly how I feel. So I'm sure other people can relate to that and not just for cancer probably for lots of other things as well yeah absolutely so what do you want to what do you want people that are potentially just going through this and starting their own journey with a potential diagnosis now what would you want them to know from your experience I'd want them to know that they're stronger than they think they are I'd want them to know You don't have to share your story on Instagram. You don't have to do anything like that. You just do what you feel you can do and you want to do. Um, I would accept as much support as you can because I don't think I would have actually got through it all if it wasn't for my family and friends. Um, No one's an island, okay? Everybody needs somebody. So, uh, and if there's anybody out there that's suffering right now, please ask them to contact me. They can DM me. I always try and get back to everybody that DMs me. Um, But I suppose what I'd want to know is there isn't a right or wrong way to do cancer. There really isn't. And everyone's journey is unique. And don't compare yourself to other people. So don't think because I got up the day after my chemo that you have to get up the day. If you don't feel like getting up, don't get up. Do what you want to do. Do what your body is telling you to do days where you don't stay positive and that's okay too because you have to have all these emotions you have to feel it all um to be able to get through it really um so that's what I'd say amazing thank you and where can people find you on Instagram so I'm Melissa underscore Golding brilliant Melissa it's been an honor to have you on the show thank you so much for so openly and honestly sharing your story you are an inspiration I'm sure to many so thank you for being here and oh uh, thank you so much for inviting me Emma I really really appreciate it and I hope we'll be able to do something in the future together absolutely I see big things coming for you so I will be watching with bated breath Oh, take thank care you. thank, thank you. you very much and thank you give my best to your mummy won't you oh i will i will
Thank right, you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you.